Hi, good morning, everybody. All right. Oh, yeah, your attendance is, is uh, needs to be recorded, and the roster just got here. That was why John came up, and everyone was looking and wondering, is it something serious? It's not. Okay, uh, where's Peter? Before we pray, uh, Peter Savitsky has a, what he says, a 25-second plug. Okay, ready? Here we go. Ready, go. Anybody who came to this recital last year, December 12th or whatever it was, uh, that tenor is going to come back again this year, Sunday, December 6th. What's his name? Mark Panuccio. Marco Panuccio is Italian name. Yes. Anyway, um, it's going to be uh, Sunday, December 6th. That's the second Sunday of Advent at 3 o'clock in the church. Tickets are 25 and then 15 for students. It was really, really great. So, Okay. Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, I came in at the very end. I got postcards back here if you want to go. Like, you can buy tickets online or at the door. There you go. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, he's professional. It's not like listening to... Well, Peter's wonderful, too. But this is not an either-or, Marilyn, okay? Right, come on. Goodness gracious. Well, and, and trust me. Hey, but Peter is here every Sunday. Or that, what's his name, Marco? He's only here once a year, so we, we do really well here, don't we? Uh, okay, on your tables is the basket for uh, the Siberian Lutherans this week. Um, obviously, Siberia is cold this time of the year. So think about that. Um, okay, the uh, what was the other thing? Oh, Reformation Day. So, of course, I know Pastor Bruzik's not here this morning, so I'm going to plug him for plug it for him. Let's walk in the footsteps of Martin Luther. Germany trip coming up this next 2016, next spring, early summer, I guess, depending on how you want to define that. Um, information's in the back on the table. If you got any questions. Walk in the footsteps of Martin Luther through Germany. Oh, well, you're not walking, though. I think you're riding a bus. <laughs> okay. Let's pray real quick. Lord Jesus Christ, open our hearts and minds to your word. Uh, let it live through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Genesis 15. So if you guys got Bibles, you want to turn to that, that's okay. Genesis 15 and 17. Um... Just have it opened. It's a little bit too much to kind of read through. But um, so last week we kind of learned two things. God uh, chooses for no particular reason except for grace. Uh, chooses Abram or Abraham to be the father of his people. And then Abraham is an idol worshiper who does faithful things all the while showing signs of unfaithfulness. What does that mean? Well, it means... Uh, like since last time, between Genesis 12 and 15, uh, Abraham, I did use the word pimp, does pimp Sarah. You can Google what, if you don't know what that means. Now, I find it very interesting that God doesn't do anything about that. I find that very fascinating. God doesn't like address it. Kind of just like, whatever. 
All I'm saying is God is a, he's, he's, a, he's a kind of peculiar guy. God is peculiar. Uh, oh, he splits with his family. Abraham splits with his family. Saves his crazy uncle, which we all got one of those. <laughs> we all have a crazy uncle that needs our love and care. I happen to be the crazy uncle, so that's why I know that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I should have prefaced that. Um, Yes, I think all my nieces and nephews wonder about me. Uh, oh, and then he's been blessed by a priest of, of the God Most High, uh, Melchizedek, which, of course, if you see the pillow up in front, um, that Bev Hector episode, so not that I'm mentioning that, but she's pretty awesome, too. Uh, uh, Melchizedek comes, priest of the God Most High, and blesses Abraham. Um, so, you know, Abraham's just like any old family, right? Marriages are complicated, family is ripped apart sometimes, and you always have one of those peculiar people. But all the while, God comes and blesses that very family, just like you. He comes and blesses you too. Okay, um, so, in, so that's where we come from. That's, that's, we're up to Genesis 15. Now, it's been several years. I know it's only been a couple chapters in the Bible, but it's been several years, maybe a dozen or so. Which, of course, you know, I mean, if God shows up in your life every dozen years, you know, I don't know. I mean, life is uh, peculiar. But uh, the two things here, theophanies, that's when God shows up. Scenes are... Uh, God uses uh, two different names. I am Yahweh. I am El Shaddai. For all the Amy Grant fans out there. Uh, okay, and so in Genesis 15, you got the initiation of this agreement. So Genesis 15, God shows up uh, in, in, a, you know, in a vision and says to Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you all this land. Uh, well, first, uh, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham's like, well, how can this be? Because I have no son. My servant, uh, Eleazar of Damascus, is going to be the guy. God says, nope, I'm going to give you one. Okay. Abraham believed that. And then uh, in verse 15, verse 7, he says, I am the Lord who brought you up from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So um, God's going to make this promise about this land, this land being the promised land, of course. Um, And so this is the initiation of the agreement. Now, 13 years later in Genesis 17 is now kind of the, the, the initiation of the fulfillment. So God says, hey, I'm going to do this. Abraham says, great. And then he has to wait around for 13 years for some kind of action to happen. Imagine that in your own life, okay? But of course, in Genesis 17, when God shows up, Abraham goes along with it, of course, and circumcises himself at the ripe old age of 99. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, you know, I, I wonder, I'm, I'm very, you know, there's a lot of blessings in my life. I'm married to a wonderful woman. I, my wife cares for my family very well. I'm a lucky guy. When I read stories like this, I'm very, I'm very thankful that um, God didn't show up in my life right now and tell me to do something strange like that. Okay. <laughs> Now, uh, Abraham also has his name changed, and of course, then Isaac is promised to him. 
And the emphasis then is on the descendants, the nations, kings will come from you. So taking those two together, we have all kind of a replay of what happens in Genesis chapter 12, what we looked at last week. All right. And again, but this takes over time. And I really want to stress that in Abraham's faith and journey with God from Ur of the Chaldeans, which from last week we remember is from kind of, you know, Iraq, Kuwait, that kind of area, all the way up through the Crescent Horn, I guess people might call it that. Um, And then finally down to uh, the land of Canaan, where, you know, Israel is. So through that journey... Abraham comes from, goes from an idol worshiper to one who believes in the Lord God alone. But that takes time. And it, it is, it basically, it's about 25 years. Well, or longer. So, again, I, I think about our journey together, my own journey with the Lord. And uh, things can change. That's good. All right, so, uh, okay, so God is still the mover. So in Genesis 15, we take a look here uh, in verse 1. Uh, well, actually, yeah. After these, word, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, or Abram. I explained that. Remember, I'm not going to say Abram because it's too hard for me. Abraham in a vision. So uh, obviously, uh, even though Abraham is awake, it is in a vision. God is the mover. He's giving us. But if we go down all the way down to 12, uh, 15 verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram. All right, so the whole point is, is that God is the mover in this. I mean, Abraham is sleeping. I know the only work that's done when I sleep is, well, that's what the doctors told me. My brain gets repaired and my body. But not much work happens when I'm sleeping. I'm very passive in that respect. So the only thing that can happen in here is by God's actions. So God's the mover. And I did, I did put in parentheses on the old outline there, necros. Because, as I teach the children, anytime you take a sleeping position, we should all be thinking about being in the dead position. So Abraham is being worked on by a living God while he is in the sleeping position, the necros position. All to emphasize not Abraham's faith, but God's action. Right, and, of course, God is the faithful one. So I give two, uh, Exodus fifteen seventeen. That sounds remarkable. Wait, fifteen seven. Sorry, that's not right. 17. I put, what did I put 17? That's wrong. Um, Genesis 15, although 15, 17 is interesting in terms of the presence of God. But Genesis 15, 7, I am the Lord who brought you out. And if you know your Exodus... You can finish the sentence, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, but God is saying, I brought you up from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. God's action first. In, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 20, why is that? Does anyone know why that chapter would be important in Exodus chapter 20? Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments starts out with that same. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of slavery, out of the land of of Egypt. Okay, so when, if we're all good Hebrews and we hear Exodus 20, we should be like, whoa, that's just like Genesis 15, 7. Um, 
Oh, and then Genesis 17, 7, 12, and 9 sounds like Noah, an everlasting covenant. So God is the faithful one. He's the mover. He's the shaker. He's the one who's going to take care of things. Why does he do it? I don't know. Because he's awesome. Remember the circular logic in terms of God's work? Why, why does he choose Abraham? Because he chose Abraham. Why does he love you? Because he loves you. Uh, there's nothing in you. God just does it. Oh, yes, I don't know if I said this last week. So the best thing is, is so if you know God loves you, what should you do about it? Should you keep asking why? Or should you just... Yeah, well, just experience it. Stop talking about it. Just live in relationship to that love. What's your problem? That's what I would say. Which actually goes to the very end of the Bible study, which we will get to whether we skip across everything to get to it. And it deals with Reformation Day. so And, and Pastor Buke's sermon, too. But Okay. All right, so now we've got a cutting of the covenant. God makes a covenant with Abraham. It's like a promise. Genesis 12 doesn't use the word covenant, but Genesis 15 does. You cut a covenant. You don't make a covenant. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant in uh, kind of human terms is like a business transaction. One party makes an agreement with the other party. They all commit to it. Yeah, let's do this. Go. Bam. Well, of course, in Genesis 15, it's, it's a little bit more, it's different. It's peculiar. Because if we take, remember, Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, who is sleeping? Abraham, but at the same time, who is the one who does uh, things? And that is, in fact, starts at verse 17, 15, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring, I give this land, yada, yada, yada. So it is a unilateral covenant. God is making these promises to Abraham. He is ratifying this. He is doing this. So it's unilateral. Okay? Um, so this, but the thing is, though, when God does this, he reveals something about himself. Okay? And it's unusual for covenants back in those times is that usually it's between kings or, or you know, similar. God's never made covenants with people in all the ancient Near East. This is... Only in Israel does Israel's God make a covenant with the people. All right, so what that means then is, is that, I mean, so ancient Near Eastern religious life was gods were kind of aloof. They weren't really involved in people's lives, like how we think about who God is. So it's not like other gods are like our God, but just like weaker. They're just, they're just fundamentally different. So other gods in ancient Near East, they were just they were up in heaven. That was their deal. Whenever we needed them, we would do an incantation or divination. We would just try to, you know, call them up on the phone. But in terms of them living in our life daily, that's that's not the case. The closest you can get to is that family God that I mentioned last week. All right, so what that means then is that when God Yahweh, the Lord God, enters into a covenant with his people. He's revealing himself. He, he, he's saying, this is the kind of God I am. Which, of course, we're not like, he's not like those other gods. He's the God, then, that comes down from heaven and enters into relationship with Abraham. 
All right, so this is, so the thing is, though, it's not that, hey, I'm going to make Abraham feel bad or, hey, I'm pretty awesome. Like, God doesn't come down to show himself being awesome, but showing himself to be awesome in the sense of, you know, teenage kid, not awesome in the technical sense. God comes down and, and shows himself to be one who says, I'm with you, you're going to be with me. So there, he's entering into this relationship, but not lightly. He binds himself to these people. So he makes this promise. And of course, this God would not be wanted to be found to be doing what with his promise? Breaking it. Where the other gods, they're irrational, they make no sense, and hence, if they don't make any promises and they make no sense, what would we call that kind of person? Somebody said it. Crazy. So what's interesting is when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he is, he is showing himself to be one of order, purpose, not chaos, and not crazy. So, okay, so this is, this is, I mean, we don't think about it this way, but basically God has blown Abraham's mind. This is not how God's work. Okay. Now, how he shows himself is in the strange ritual. He takes uh, a bunch of animals, cuts them in half, and uh, it kind of makes like, a, like an aisle. Half of an animal here, half an animal here, except for the small animals. Um, and, then, and then the flaming pot and the fire walk through it. Now, this ritual itself um, leaves a lot to speculation. There are some ancient Near Eastern religious ceremonies or contractual ceremonies that are similar, but the differences are so different that it really, uh, nobody can say for certain what's going on here. A lot of people have, though. I mean, a lot of people have said a lot of things about this, that this is uh, when God passes through, it's uniting him and Abraham in one, like one flash, like he's, you know, he's putting things back together. I mean, all, all these uh, interesting ideas, which I like, but we just can't say for certain. You know, they were clean animals. That was another one. Hey, they're clean animals because they were... Of course, does Abraham know what a clean animal is at this time? No. Why? Yeah, Moses hasn't been around yet. Now, of course, Noah had clean animals too, but we don't know what those were either. Denise. Is there significance to a mammal being three years? Uh, maybe. Yep. So, uh, there is a, uh, uh, Mar- the Treaty of Marty, I think it is. No. I, have a, I thought I had a resource here. I, I, maybe she's here somewhere, but I don't want to put her on the spot. But if I, there's someone here who knows what this is. Um, all right. The Treaty of Marty, Marte, Martai, I don't know how to say it. Uh, and the, the, this treaty was where you actually would uh, cut the animals in half, and they had an age attached to it. Okay? But um, that was for other purposes, not for entering into contract. So that's the speculation. Well, hey, it has to be three years. Now, of course, 
Um, part of reading Genesis is uh, the reason why it, okay, you can read it as a Jew or as a Christian, right? Of course, we want to read it as Christian, because we're Christians, makes sense. So how we interpret the Old Testament here is uh, somewhat complicated, not to get too on a tangent here. But when the Apostle Paul talks about Abraham and the righteousness of faith in Abraham in Romans chapter 4, many of us think, oh, he's just kind of connecting dots from previous interpretation. No, he's not actually. This is a new interpretation. Now, if it's new, of course, you can understand why some people don't believe it. It's not like they're just, hey, I want to hang on to the old Jew. There's some real... Uh, you know, if you think back in Jesus' time, when Jesus starts talking about how he interprets the Old Testament, you have a lot of faithful Jews, not, not mean people, and not people bent on doing their own thing. Faithful people who say, hey, that's new. And that sounds unique or different. So the Apostle Paul, when he comes to Romans chapter 4, he's doing something unique. I mean, this is a unique thing. Okay, so when we so now when we come back to these unique and very unusual rituals here in the Old Testament, our tendency will be like to say, okay, well, of course it's a sacrifice. It's got to be a sacrifice because you know dead animals. Well, there's no indication in in the actual Genesis 15 to say that this is in fact a sacrifice. Because how do we define a sacrifice? Well, we define it according to Moses. Uh, all the things that Moses said about sacrifices aren't being applied here. Okay, so we have to kind of tread very slowly when we go through this. So, yeah, so Denise, a lot of these questions about, like, why is it three years? Why is it, you know, these animals? We don't know yet. We don't know. Um, But there's a whole history of interpretation, whether it be Jewish interpretation or even Christian interpretation. And that would be a year Bible study right there. So I, I just bring up these points to say that this is an unusual thing. It's kind of different. Um, oh yeah, in fact, when uh, Abraham chases away the unclean birds, uh, people say, oh hey, Abraham's defending his descendants. He's keeping things pure. Maybe. I mean, there's a whole slew of other ones. All right. So the thing is, though, in this circumstance, what is it not? It's not a sacrifice. Oh, I wrote that down. It's not a sacrifice. There's no altar. There's no offering of animals to deity. There's no ritual for handling the pieces. There's, it's not a di- divination. Because uh, divination meaning, you know, you'd slice the animal, put all the entrails and the intestines, and then they would look at the intestines. That's, that's what they did. Which for Jeremiah, when God says God's going to be written on your heart, that's an old interpretation. It, we often view it as very sentimental, emotional. But there's actually a good reason to say that Jeremiah is making your heart an actual means of God's word. Which that's a kind of interesting thing. Okay, but that's that's a tangent. And it's not an incantation. Well, of course it's not, because we're Christians, and these are faithful people. It wouldn't be that anyways. Okay. Um, 
All right, so what is God up to in this circumstance? Well, remember, remember Abraham didn't worship the, God, the Lord God alone. Not yet, anyways. And what we find out is, I mean, this is fascinating for me, I think. God did not give Abraham any doctrinal statement like Moses. He didn't require any rituals or issue demands. God didn't say he was the only God and didn't require Abraham to stop worshiping idols. Now, the reason why I say that is because other parts in the Bible, this is precisely what God does. So, and God didn't tell Abraham of Genesis 3 either. Right? I mean, he didn't say, hey, I made this promise at the beginning of uh, when humanity came around that I'm going to have someone go on here. Now, we can all say that God eventually told him that, but I, you know, I don't know, maybe. But what God does in this circumstance is he makes Abraham an offer. Now, when, we, when God makes an offer, what, what, what do we call that? We call it a gift. All right, so what God is doing here is he's gifting Abraham. And that is important because God is revealing what kind of God he is in, these, in this circumstance. All right? Um, so God is a God of uh, gifting, gospel. That, that's a good reformation. That, okay, so... Abraham's faith. Now, Abraham was an idol worshiper. Mesopotamian gods didn't reveal themselves to people or give any idea of what they will bring their favor or wrath. Remember, we talked about gods. The gods were kind of irrational, crazy things. Uh, how you worship them was by flattering them. Which, of course, sounds like what? Like us, right? I mean, hey, this, that's how I like to be. If you all came up afterwards and said, hey, good job, Pastor. I'd, man, I'd love you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Of course, though, the word is manipulated. So how do, how do you worship the idols? By manipulating them. Oh, uh, so this next summer, I'm going to go to the synodical convention. I am the circuit represent, pastor representative. I was blessed with that opportunity. I have not told my wife yet, so now I'm telling her. I don't know if she's here or downstairs with the confirmation kids. Okay. Um, it's, in, it's in Milwaukee. It's in July sometime, I think. So anyways, uh, I get to vote on whatever is going to happen. So I told Pastor Bukes, I was like, listen, I wonder if I could like go around to other churches and say, hey, I'm your, I'm your candidate. <laughs> if you want something done, talk to me. Uh, that's basically, this is basically the idols of the old days. All right? If you, uh, you know, I mean, because the gods were over there, they didn't really care about you. The only way they can, I can get them to care about me is if, hey, if I tell them how awesome they are, give them what they want. I'm not sure what that is, but I'm going to try my best. And whatever seems to work, I'll go with that. Until, you know, the God changes his mind. You know, he might like children, sacrifices one day, but maybe he wants, you know, first fruits of the harvest another day. Um, I don't want any of your children. <laughs> All right, but the Lord God in Genesis 15 and in Genesis 17 is very different. 
He makes a covenant with Abraham precisely to reveal what he is really like. He's out to make things right when it comes to understanding who God is. But how he's doing that, though, is through this journey with Abraham. He, is, he reveals himself back in uh, Ur, Chaldea, the Ur of Chaldeans, then at Haran after his father dies, and now he's going to reveal him in Genesis 15, and then in 17, and then chapter 18, and chapter uh, well, it's sort of 19, but definitely uh, when Isaac is born, and then, of course, ultimately then in Genesis 21 at the sacrifice, or supposed sacrifice of Isaac. So he is, uh, he's, it's taking this, this very interesting thing. So God is the one who says, hey, I'm going to come down to these people, and I'm going to work with these kind of people. Okay? Now, why does he do that? Because he made them. And he has attached himself to these people. He, he has a promise to keep. He's not like other gods who just change their minds and say, you know, forget you. All right. So this is very important for us to kind of keep in the back of our mind, especially if you start thinking critically about this text and wonder, hey, you know, Abraham just pimped Sarah. Why didn't God do anything about that? I mean, think about Sarah, right? And it doesn't only it doesn't happen just once. So you can't just you just can't just read past those. Be like, oh, whatever. Okay. Normal people don't do that. And I think you're all normal. I think you're all going to read this and say, what is going on here? That's how that's how we should read the Bible. When things are hard, we should treat them as hard. And when things seem to be not right, it's okay to say, this isn't right. Because God probably would say, yeah, that's not right. Love is hard. This is what God would say to us. And we would love to have it just easy, right? But, this is, this is who we are. So, alright, so the covenant starts this relationship, uh, starts back in chapter 12, obviously golden, you know, I already said all that stuff. All right. Oh, so now the covenant then for Abraham. So not only shows who uh, God is, this awesome God who does things differently than those ancient Near Eastern gods, thank goodness, but it also does something to Abraham. Now Abraham's identity, his, uh, whatever I listed here, his view of history, his view, so his past, like how he understands his past, how he understands his future, how he understands God, and then his life with him all derives from this covenant. So how does he understand himself? He's God's what? Chosen. He's been baptized. How does he see his past? This I was a former crazy idol worshiper, but now I am Yahweh worshiper. I'm, I was once a sinner, but now I'm saved. How does he see his future? Well, according to God's promises. I am going to be part of this family this huge family that's going to bless, that's part of the blessing of, God's blessing for the, the world. Um, now, the one thing is, though, what does God does not specifically promise Abraham in these texts that we would normally associate with God in our own relationship with him? What does God promise you? Salvation. That's not part of the discussion here in Abraham. Not necessarily. 
Again, we're going to read that Bible slowly. Okay? The thing is, though, is that when... So I, I do... I, I, uh, well, we'll get to it, and we'll come back to that, kind of this, with, uh, when God doesn't necessarily promise salvation. Um, okay, and then his life with him, meaning, hey, God's attached himself to me. I, I have no other life but with God. And Abraham, of course, is going to try that a few times by doing his own deal, specifically when Sarah offers Hagar to Abraham. Do we also have a previous story where a woman offers her husband something? Yeah, right, Adam and Eve, right? So it's, uh, it's, it's, these are all echoes. This is all kind of interesting. Okay, I, I think I might even put that in there somewhere. I don't know. Okay, uh, blah, blah, blah. all right, so the covenant then, when, he makes, when God makes his promises to uh, Abraham, he promises it in all the things that make a person back in those days, land, family, inheritance. So he's, he's telling Abraham, this, I'm not like those other gods where you just kind of, you can deal with them whenever you want, or I'm going to just kind of be in and out of your life, maybe when th- things go bad or, or good. I am going to be in your life always. We are life together. This is precisely why in other parts of the Bible, God, Abraham is a what of God. This is like a big kind of, he is a friend of God. And that term friend is in Facebook friends. It means that God is willing to shed blood for him. Okay, but that, again, that's, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. All right, so when Abraham left Ur, he gave up his, fa- his land, family, inheritance, but then when God makes these promises, then, oh, I already said that, yeah, great. So he makes these promises in terms of relationship to himself, meaning that there is no land except for the land I give you, there's no family except for the family I give you, and there's no inheritance besides the one I give you. And of course, God, who is the God of creation, the Lord Most High, if he says this to you, you say to yourself, Thank you. Yes, that's great. Perfect. Because uh, what we'll find out eventually, ultimately in the Ten Plagues, that this God of Abraham is the God who kicks butt. He kicks butt, and then, of course, then we see it other times, right? The Ten Plagues, I don't know if maybe you guys know this or not, the Ten Plagues are also representative of gods in Egypt, the pantheon of gods. So when God does these plagues, Egypt is all like, oh, wait a second. You mean your God plays with our gods? So your God must be more powerful than our gods. And then, of course, Dagon and Marduk and all those other ones. Right? I mean, Dagon is a rock band, right? I know that. Heavy, death metal band. All right, never mind. <laughs> I'm trying to broaden the horizons. I brought up hip-hop and rap a couple, you know, the last few weeks, so I want to, you know, broaden my horizons to death metal. Okay. What were we talking about? All right, so, so God then kicks butt. He, he's the guy who does this thing, so when God makes these promises, you're like, yes, of course, thank you, Lord. Um, so, but the thing is, though, is when God, all this is understand, you've got to go back to Eden for us. Okay, this can only be understood in terms of relationship to Genesis 3. The land, the family, and the inheritance. So, of course, then, that means this 
uh, we haven't turned to it and read it, but it's in Genesis 17 when God promises Abraham Isaac. And that promise in Isaac is the one that then, and I, I'm going to go out of character and interpret this specifically as a Christian, um, is uh, when God promises Isaac to Abraham, Abraham sees Jesus. He sees the, the kind of the whole spectrum of what's going on. Uh, and there's a nice quote from Irenaeus, early church father guy. Um, so, so it comes all the way up into Genesis 17. Of course, these promises are hard to believe because in Genesis um, 18, Sarah, or, you know, laughs. Oh, anyway, let's not get to it. Okay, so, so comes all to that point when Isaac is promised to Abraham, and we are introduced now back to Genesis 3:15 and the seed that goes forward. Um, speaking of seed, circumcision. This is a few things I, I, I find this kind of interesting, but we're going to go back to Genesis 15:6 real quick. But uh, circumcision, it's not new to Abraham. Circumcision was widely practiced back in those days. I didn't want to show you pictures, but there are some reliefs from Egypt and uh, Mesopotamia of circumcision rites. Usually they happen, two instances, into manhood. So about when you're a teenager, like Ishmael, that's probably what brought it up for Abraham. Uh, and then also when you got married. Men, if you're married, your father-in-law. And his brothers and families would <laughs> take care of that for you. Another reason, just another reason it's good to be a Christian. <laughs> There's a lot of benefits of being a Christian these days. You know, because we always think, oh, if I was only born and living when Jesus was walking the earth. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Because, of course, we would all be Gentiles. And, you know, rules for Gentiles are not like those, like the Jews in the eighth day and, you know, circumcised as a baby. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Anyways, I find that kind of funny, interesting. I know the reason why that's a blessing to be part of God's family. The other thing was, is, oh, uh, uh, you know, male only aren't fe- I mean, not that you would circumcise females, but, like, the uh, promise, is it only according to men, women not part of it? When we, we ask those questions, we see ourselves in modern terms as individuals. The, the community was the number one identifier for people. But they were, of course, according to paternal uh, lineage and, and not maternal. So the, the man was, so the promise was according for the community, not the individual. So when the man got circumcised, it wasn't just for the man but it was for the community. It kept the community's promises. Keep going. All right. I just say that because people ask about that. Oh. Well, okay. So circumcision, marks on the body of, of God's promise. Where are the marks on, our, uh, on the body now? Five wounds of Jesus. Moving very quickly because we will need to finish here. All right, so Genesis 15, 6, good Reformation verse. Abraham believed and God credited to him as righteousness. Uh, When you read a lot of commentaries, there's a lot of time spent on that verse because it sounds just like 
Well, it's because it's quoted in Romans. Um, the thing is, though, once we know we're not saved by works, we spend all our time on other things. We can't live life just reminding ourselves we're not saved by works. We can't dwell upon it, I mean. The reason why, and this is, there's good biblical evidence for it, God's action and our participation in his promise. Oh, I should have said, well, we spend most of our time on God's action and then our participation in his promise to us. That's precisely what happens for Abraham and all of the Old Testament. God makes these promises. He says, you're going to participate in this. You know, circumcision being the sign of that. So if you look at it, this verse is mentioned one time in Genesis, but the rest of the Old Testament is working out God's actions and the family's participation in those actions. So it's mentioned once here. Oh, I just said that. So the, the thing is, is that that's how we understand our own life. Sometimes we spend too much time... Again, we have to remember it, so we, we remember it. But if, if I live my life always dwelling upon how I'm a, I'm a sinner, of course, who's my focus on? Myself. It is a truthful statement, though. Of course, I ignore who? God, and not just God, but all his benefits for us. So... If you think about the Old Testament, God says, hey, not you. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Ur. I'm I'm the guy who brought you out of the land of um, slavery. I'm the guy who did this. And then he says, this is who you are. Whether it be here in Genesis 15 and 17 or in Exodus 20, this is who you are. You're the one who doesn't put gods before me. You're the one who uh, says the Lord rightly, says the name of the Lord rightly. You are the ones who remember the Sabbath. You are the ones who do this. You are this. Um, but the, the Israelites spend most of their time thinking about themselves and not dwelling upon all the works that God has for them and the life for them. Which, of course, as you read it, it's so frustrating. Right? You think about it. Israel starts complaining right after God just parted the Red Sea. You're like, what is going on here? I mean, this is like in your, I mean, this is like not, you know, yesterday's news. It's not like, you know, 50 years ago. But of course, as Abraham is like a normal family, so is Moses, and so is our life. It is frustrating being a sinner, isn't it? It would be great if we were perfect. But of course, we're not. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to church. We're going to receive the forgiveness of sins. We're going to receive his life and salvation in the body and blood of Jesus. And we're going to get out of here. And we're going to start living that life. Living that life with our eyes on Christ, not on ourselves. Doing those things that Christ gave us to do. Ten Commandments, love, the whole nine yards. So so Reformation Day is a good day. We're saved by grace, not by works. But we're going to spend the entire year thinking about how much God loves us, saved us, died for us, and how much he wants to live life with us. And then we will. But just like Abraham, I mean, hopefully no one will pimp said spouse or throw out your crazy uncle or separate from your family, or, well, hopefully we'll all be blessed by the, the, the high priest. 
Of course we will, because of Jesus. But of course, we're going to leave here from today, and things won't be perfect. And that's why we live in a community together of, of forgiveness, of promise, and also uh, with, uh, you know, with pastors whose job is to remind us. And then your job, too, to remind us, too, that God loves us, God forgives us, and God uh, leads us. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.